Hi, I'm Ben Days, executive producer of Aiden 5, the web series, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment over at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And Genretainment is the show where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now, for this episode, we are speaking with Otessa Marie Gadar, creator of the web series Orange Juice in Bishop's Garden, founder of the DC Web Series Festival, and president of the new media company 2020 Productions. Gadar tells us why and how she founded the first web series and digital media festival in the Washington, D.C. area. We learn how she created her web series and the challenges she faced filming seven seasons and the recognition it has gained from the LGBT community. Now, before we start the interview, we do want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Well, now let's get started with our interview with Otessa Marie Gadar. <laughs> One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Hi, Otessa, and welcome to Genretainment. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you've been involved in new media since 2007. Uh, you created your web series, Orange Juice and Bishop's Garden. <laughs> cool title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you're president of, your new, of the new media company, 2020 Productions, and organized and hosted the first DC Web Series Festival back, I believe, in 2013. So, you know, obvious question, how did you get involved with new media and web series? You know, it's funny. I had always been really interested in telling stories, and in particular, film and video. And I know that when I was at film school, something that people were talking about very frequently was the decline of the box office. That was like a big deal. And what what were we going to do about the decline of the box office? But what I thought was increasingly interesting to me was that as much as that was true, every year people were actually, and particularly people of, say, a slightly younger demographic, um, like 30 and under, Every year they were actually consuming and watching more and more media, more and more content. They were just getting it in new places. And that was something that just really interested me, in particular probably because of my brother and sister being a bit younger. So I was kind of watching all of this develop real time. What I ended up being really struck by, in addition to that sort of burgeoning thought process, was um, at Columbia Marshall Herskovitz had come who was one of the sort of luminaries behind the show that was very dear to me when I was growing up, um, My So-Called Life. And he had just created the web series Quarter Life. And hearing him talk as well, sort of between these two experiences, I really gravitated to the idea of creating online original series mm-hmm. and decided that that was what I really wanted my thesis materials and my thesis films to be. And really exploring kind of the business model and like future trends behind all of these like new weird things that we were seeing like at the time youtube or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and it, out of that it really grew it was funny though because in the beginning it was a little bit of a fight because you know there are these traditional roots where as a filmmaker it's like okay either the expectation largely is you're either going to go to la or you're going to go to new york mm-hmm. um and by and large it, there's nothing wrong with that that's what all, most all of my other um student fellow students did was they either moved to Hollywood or they stuck it out in New York and you know all of them are enjoying their careers but I was really interested by the potential for democratization 
of storytelling and filmmaking that the web provided. Um, but, you know, if you go to your thesis board and you say, hey, I want to create these weird collection of short stories, it's kind of like a television show, except I'm going to put it <laughs> on the Internet and it's going to be free. <laughs> and then they're like, why would anyone want to do that? That sounds crazy. <laughs> um so kind of had to push it through. Fortunately, had like um had done some like business business projections and things like that uh, to sort of you know prove to people that I, I, I might be crazy, but I wasn't that crazy. <laughs> um, so that's how it started. You have to be a little crazy just to do any kind of filming in general, right? Yes, just <laughs> to pursue a career in the arts. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you know, sane people need not apply. So could you tell our audience a little bit about what Orange Juice and Bishop's Garden is about? Sure thing. It is well. Our tagline is "Growing up, getting down, and coming out" in the '90s. But what I really wanted to capture was a web series, so this like new media format about the very last pre-internet generation. Yay! (laughs) Right? Yeah, I I remember the '90s very fondly. So me too. Us too, actually. My time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I was really interested in capturing that time where like people really feel like. um, I feel like people who live through it frequently have that same sort of response of this nostalgia for it. And I thought it was really interesting um, to present that in this kind of like strange new format. I thought that that was like a fun um, analog digital blend. Mm-hmm. But it's really, it's, it follows a group of kids kind of just trying to figure out who the heck they are mm-hmm. um, and getting into a lot of trouble and, you know, work, working through their their ideas of themselves and their relationships with their friends and, you know, trying to figure out who they are and who they want to be. I, I, um, but actually, I, I said my so-called life, so, the, you know, that that kind of feel a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know that we kind of have the same response about, you know, growing up, have fond memories of, you know, the 90s. And, you know, I, I feel like we were very fortunate because, you know, when – I grew up, you, it was cut, the grunge was in, so you, like you could, a girl could just rock like the leggings, t-shirt, and an oversized kind of raggedy flannel shirt open or tight around your waist, and and uh, there was not the hyper-sexualization, I guess, that just yeah. younger and younger girl. you know, you've got 12-year-old girls trying to be sexy and getting thong underwear I'm like you know when super creepy it's it is (laughs) I remember I was managing a store and and uh, they were selling though and I was like you guys are so young and they're like well what did you wear I'm like what we just wore clothes and underwear and no one thought about I mean you know you you kind of had your own style of dress but you know you could you could just be a kid you know a little bit longer (laughs) and not every not everything you did was blasted across the internet. You know, you could screw up and in a few days people would forget. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It wasn't there to haunt you in like your Google search cache for the next 15 years. Yeah, I was going to say you do something, but 20 years later they find you while you're applying for a job <laughs> online and like this horrible photo or something. <laughs> it was just so much, it was just a little easier. Yeah, that's definitely true. Definitely <laughs> true. So when you speak about your thesis, is this web series that thesis, or did you do something else that eventually led to this web series? No, actually, this Orange Juice and Bishop's Garden, which had I known I was going to end up doing it for seven years, I would have picked a title <laughs> that was easier to say. That's lesson number one. 
Um, OJBD? No, yeah, they definitely go by the acronym a whole bunch. But that was actually the thesis project, and it grew out of that, um, which was exciting to see. But also, I think at the same time, there are some cringeworthy moments where, you know, your student work ends up being season one, and it's out there for everyone to see your learning curve. So that's always very humbling. But as someone told me that if you, let's see, if you don't look back and cringe, then you're probably doing it wrong. So yeah. I guess there's that. That's true. You don't want to look back at season one seven years later and go, well, that was my best work. <laughs> well, and, and whether it's in art or in life, you know, if seven or ten years go by and, and you haven't progressed at all, there's probably something very wrong. <laughs> So what, did you face challenges then for that many years keeping actors? Nope, such? it was perfectly easy, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my gosh, yeah, no, without the luxury of five-year contracts or even like a, a budget or anything like that, it's incredibly difficult. We were really, really lucky that the large majority of our cast stuck with the project for the whole time. That's really um, amazing. But there are I know, really lucky, um, and I think a lot of that was that it was something that we really felt like we were all building together, so there was like a lot of mutual support and mutual sort of investment in the idea and the characters, but there's also that element of you constantly, um, actually another web series creator friend of mine said something along the lines of, you feel like you're constantly running for office or running for president, like you're always campaigning to keep everyone involved in the project and have to like keep, you know, kind of reminding them of it and selling them on the experience. And so that that's definitely um, a good skill to have developed, but it was not always easy trying to maintain this thing over seven years. Now, do you think that maintaining it this many years has been, has it been helped or hindered by the fact that you are based in DC and not in LA or New York? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and I, I wish I honestly had a had an answer for you. I think that it is not as – well, in some ways it helps and in some ways it hinders. It is not as difficult as one would imagine, mm-hmm. but certainly you don't have the infrastructure, so there is that. Um, you know, you can't just take meetings with the kind of people that you might necessarily be inclined to – discuss about, you know, licensing your content or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's the novelty factor. Yeah. The fact that not many people are doing or are doing this here. Of course, there are many, but not as many. And so I think that that sort of piques people's interest. And so that's the helping factor. Probably, you know, it helps in terms of just locations and resources, you know, in a place where it's yes. not as, as, Done as much, you know, not as many people have the hands out for a <laughs> payday. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how permits are there, but they're pretty bad in L.A., for example. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What else were you going to say? Oh, um, no, but I was just going to say that that was really a large part of the impetus for um, why I started the production company was uh, to distribute and kind of consult for other shows as well um, and kind of seeing that, you know, there's great content coming out of you know, other places that other people might consider flyover states, that they are creating amazing original content. And, yeah. you know, what can we do to help them? How can we band together? How can we elevate this art form? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely in terms of the production company, like one of the big kind of mission statements, but also definitely in terms of the festival. Um, and I remember in the beginning, you know, there's sort of like seven years ago when I was first sort of getting my feet wet into this, there was the general idea that, you know, you create 
your film and then you try to get into festivals and you springboard it as a kind of calling card. But, you know, these festivals that people would want to get into, they would need um, a domestic premiere, an international premiere, or something like that, which if you are creating online content, if you can't put your work online, <laughs> it's like just totally defeats the whole purpose of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So, there, and there were, there started to crop up a couple of um, festivals that specialized in this, which was like really exciting and uh, always really wonderful to see. But at the same time, like in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Delmarva area, there's so many uh, creators. And I was also like, you know, being in the nation's capital, it is a unique position to um, represent this art form and also like bring together thought leaders and luminaries who are kind of thinking about how new media is not just changing kind of art and culture, but also like how humans interact with other humans. So that was really something that I thought was kind of great about being in D.C., mm-hmm. being able to provide, you know, this platform in the nation's capital for all kinds of web series, and now we also um, showcase video games and interactive media, that kind of stuff. That's great. We do find your uh, perspective on that very refreshing because it, it's always, it seems so strange how, you know, the Internet it is the international highway. You can literally jump on and off pretty much anywhere, in at least in the developed world. In North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> But people still, when they talk about the web community, there's a mindset amongst so many of them that, well, if you're not part of our L.A. crowd, then you are, like, totally not in it, you know? And it's oh, no, we're definitely, like, the ugly, red-headed stepchildren of, yeah, it, it's of so the accepted odd. film community. <laughs> it, it's so weird, that, but at the same time, these same people will turn around and tout how fantastic the Internet is because it... It brings us all together all over the world, but they have, but there's such a disconnect, I think, in in practice still. I don't know if it just hasn't, the mindset hasn't caught up with the technology yet. Yeah, that's such an excellent question. I do think that with the movement towards just television over IP, Mm -hmm. all of these lines are kind of blurring. And I think that we will continue to see like a larger sort of eye opening or at least acceptance of. Um, kind of what people are doing and creating online. But certainly there's also just a, a lot of confusion, too, while all of this is happening. But but I do think that it does it does help to elevate and when people are like, oh, yes, I guess House of Cards could be considered a web series. Oh, well, I guess I know what a web series is. Yeah. Um, so that That is helpful. It's a TV show on the Internet. Yeah, we've had yeah. that conversation with people a lot. It's been kind of a thing. Yeah, Netflix has helped. <clears throat> Before has. Netflix, everybody thought, oh, it's cat video. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, yes. Oh, my gosh. There's not too many cats on the cat internet. cat videos, mind you, because you are <laughs> hearing one of our cats speaking to you through the microphone if you're hearing yes, her. Absolutely. Honey, I, I also have hi. a cat here who is, like, super curious. So. Oh, good. Okay, well, Teddy Bear <laughs> yeah. says hi. Okay, we're throwing in oh. cats. Our rating's going to skyrocket. Yes. Put that in the tags. <laughs> Wait, uh, what's your cat's name? Teddy bear? This one is teddy bear. What's your cat's oh. name? Uh, I have a summer and a gray wind because I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. Oh. <laughs> so hashtag cats. Hashtag cat. We're going to put cats in the tags here. That'll draw more. <laughs> so what is the, the web series community like in the D.C. area? Well, I would definitely say that one of the things that I appreciate the most about the web series community here is how incredibly um, supportive everyone is. Mm-hmm. There's definitely um, the sense of, 
you know, wanting to help people get their projects off the ground or, you know, let people know about locations or, you know, just like shortcuts, things like that. I would say it's very inclusive, which is fantastic, because especially if you have a, you know, a burgeoning sort of form of storytelling or a burgeoning form of um, filmmaking, to compete at this point is just not helpful. Right. You know, like really more than anything else, it's so important to band together and mutually elevate. And sort of excluding other people is just not going to help us look good, I think. Um, And I think that I really like that about the area that we're in, is that everyone is always incredibly helpful, supportive, and enthused. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and we don't have time slots to fight over, for example. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really, a rising tide can certainly float all boats when you're not competing for the advertising dollars in a particular time slot on a particular night. And most web series are short form, so I think um, you can definitely watch quite a few yeah. shows and not, they don't have to compete. Yeah. I saw that your series was recognized by the Human Rights Campaign for making a Yay. positive co- contribution to the LGBT yeah. community. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that came about and uh, and how LGBT characters play a role in the show? Um, well, this is, first of all, in terms of like things that when they happen, you kind of don't believe them and you're just like so incredibly touched. That was That was one of them, you know. And so when the human rights campaign recognized this and when the advocate listed the show as, like, one of the reasons to have pride last year and, you know, having a float in the Capitol Pride Parade, all these things are just, like, so amazing to think that, A, anyone is actually watching your work and, B, that it has some kind of meaning for them is just, like, it, it makes your heart kind of mm-hmm. sick. But in particular for me, you always hear these things and I find them so ridiculous, the idea that, oh, well, men will only watch or read, only watch or stuff or read books about, like, male characters, but females will, you know, they, they'll do either. Or um, just sort of like, oh, well, let's, let's make this character white because that'll, like, test higher in you know, demographics. Or, oh, well, we can't, like, in My So-Called Life, like, Ricky Vasquez had to be the sidekick. He couldn't be the main character. And I always felt like the this thinking and these sort of supposed, you know, like, statistics of, who is viewing and what, you know, what people will view or will not do. I always thought they were completely skewed and, quite frankly, incorrect. Right. Um, and I always believe that people will just watch good stories. Mm-hmm. And if one of the main characters is gay, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get heterosexual viewership. Right. And I just, at a very basic level, rejected that premise and felt very strongly about wanting to kind of pursue that in terms of, um, like quality and of like advocating for friends and like other cast members. There's, you know, this, this sort of, I wanted to provide something and advocate in any way I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And there just were not enough stories. And I think that it's really hurtful if at the end of the day, you never get to look up at the screen and feel like you ever see yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I mean, people talk about like marginalization a lot, but I think at the end of the day, like if you're never seeing a representation of yourself, like that is a huge, huge damage because at, at the end of it, you're going to end up, you know, the margins are going to be most of the page. Right. Um, so that was something that really wanted to explore in this web series where, you know, we had a, a cast of about like 18 characters, but they're really about like two or three characters that we're following largely the whole way through. And I really wanted to explore this kind of coming out experience through the main character's eyes. Um, And it's also, I think, something that 
was interesting to see was not just that that was when we first went viral, but also if you look at some of the communities that have had the most positive um, sort of fan outpouring online, mm-hmm. it has been like LGBT content. Um, and it has been also a lot of, I guess, like science fiction or geek culture, but all the kind of shows that wouldn't necessarily get greenlit normally. But at the end of the day, that means that there are all of these stories that people do want. And, you know, just because they might be deemed non-traditional doesn't mean that there's no interest. In fact, there's like oodles of interest. So finding the non-traditional means to tell your non-traditional stories is, you know, really great. And the other thing that was sort of amazing to me that came out of this was um, that I think largely as a result of the LGBT storyline, we ended up being watched now in over 145 countries. And so because of the fact that we're not geo-blocked and things like that, you know, places where homosexuality is vilified or just not not even talked about at all. Or even illegal still, yeah. Exactly, yeah. You're providing a place where if people feel like they don't have a network, people feel like maybe they don't even have a family, they can actually go online and find their community, find some acceptance. Like that, that being able to create that sort of network or tapestry for people was really cool. And I think that um, you know, if I, any way that I can continue to do this as a filmmaker is is something that I, I will try my hardest to do. Um, I mean, it's also weird, though, because at the same time that you get this, like, really kind of amazing fan reaction of thank you so much or, you know, like, people telling stories about, you know, like, I tried to commit suicide at this point and, you know, like, finding finding a story that is something that I can relate to that doesn't make me feel horrible. Um, <laughs> is, is And you're like, wow, we have so far to go if that is, you know, if we're still there, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, sometimes like the creepy stuff about the internet is just the negative reaction that you'll get sometimes too. Yeah, like there's some really sort of shocking hate mail and like weird YouTube comments that just floor you. Oh, um, I can only imagine. And but, you know, I agree with you, and I think that a lot of these restrictions about you know men will only watch this and people won't tune in for a minority character or or someone who's homosexual or whatever i th- i really think these are rules are imposed by just people in charge who are too cowardly to take a chance on the fact that we are more open minded because you yep. just look at the success a lot of men watched and loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know, a, yeah, a woman. You know, absolutely. there, there are Will and Grace was watched by mm-hmm. a lot of straight people. I mean, and look at the success of. I haven't seen it, but I know Empire, uh, an African American cast, and then you know, like I'm more of a geek, so you know, I have liked Sleepy Hollow, and it's like you know. Mm-hmm. It's an African-American woman and a white man and then, like, their boss, the chief, was a black man. And and you don't think about it because it's just, you don't, you don't, like, people had to point out, hey, that's pretty cool. Because I was just watching a good show exactly. with good actors who were cast really well. And and so I I think that overall most viewers are ready for the diversity that we experience in our everyday life because it's it's not only insulting to the groups that aren't being represented. I mean, I'm a I'm a heterosexual white 
woman from the Midwest and a Christian. And it's really insulting to me that that someone would assume that I'm racist, homophobic, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So you have to dumb things down and water them down for me, you know? Right, <laughs> right. It's insane because it, it's making an assumption that you're going to, everyone has the worst qualities. And so we're just going to cater to that. Uh-huh. Yes. I could not agree more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think mainstream entertainment is slowly moving towards mm-hmm. more of what really America looks like. In reality, and uh, mm-hmm. what web series? Because we're all pioneers, cutting edge indie, and we are reflecting that. You know, yeah, two steps ahead. Yeah, so. tend to be well, and we don't. We're not worried about losing millions from you know some big advertiser. Well, that's true. Yeah, we're only <laughs> right, investors right. that are worried to, about losing millions. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I mean, if I I I think that we have successfully tackled a lot of it in mainstream it's just not being recognized if america was truly so homophobic why in the world is ellen DeGeneres such a hit you know Mm -hmm. it just it doesn't make sense there's this perception that in america we're all so as so closed-minded that we can't handle it but at the same time we're kind of proving that that's not true that is another really interesting thing when you think about the kind of content the, the large-scale mainstream content that the United States exports, mm-hmm. our export markets do us no favors. No. And I think that in terms of one of the cool things about doing what we do online is that, you know, you're kind of allowing people to see, like, hey, th- th- this is actually kind of what it's like to be American. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, like, it's really not all like they watch. Now, what kind of things are you thinking of that I don't know as much about what's being exported compared to? Oh, I was just thinking in terms of like, you know, the OC or Baywatch or the kind oh, of um, yeah. like that kind of programming mm-hmm. that people, you know, are like, oh, so is that what American high school is like? It's like, no, that's just the only expression of an American high school that you will ever see that we give you. It was probably more like like freaks and geeks, more so. Yes, exactly. It's like where they have actual kids playing kids and... People are a little odd and, you know, a little awkward as teenagers. And not super cool, and they don't have really nice cars. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There is a strange, I remember the the first time I traveled outside the U.S., people were like, you can't be an American. And I'm like, why? And they're like, you're not wearing, like, big brand name stuff. And, (laughs) you know, like, I was supposed to have, like, a guest T-shirt on and, like, a Nike hat and a fanny pack. And I'm like, I don't know anybody like that in America. (laughs) Like, where's your uniform? Did you forget your uniform? (laughs) It was kind of odd. I'm like, what do you, what do you, wow, that's what you think of us. Let's talk a little bit more about DC WebFest. Yeah, we touched on that. This is um, the third year? Third year, yes. Hmm? Hey, third's the charm. I know, I know. Um, So I'm so, so excited to be able to continue to do do this. And it is being held on Saturday, May 2nd um, in downtown DC. And um, I'm so, I'm so excited about the content that we're going to be, we're currently working out like our screening schedule and everything. And just the shows are so varied and just so good. Like the quality is amazing. The story is good. 
Um, and again, just something that has been immensely gratifying to have watched is that, you know, 10 years back or when I started, there were like a handful, a handful of web series, you know, really not that many. And you mm-hmm. could like have listed them all. And now there are literally thousands upon thousands. I mean, it has just grown so exponentially. And again, just to go back to that kind of democratization of this like creation filmmaking, like we're seeing shows come out of every which corner of the globe. And yeah, being able to unveil these shows is something that I'm so excited for. And we also have a great collection of kind of special guests who work in various aspects of the industry and also um, video games and multimedia, sort of experiential art, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm definitely, I'm very excited. And in terms of, you know, kind of moving forward, really want to build this out into a a more extended, expanded, multi-day experience. So that's kind of what where we're heading down the pike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're one of the first web fests I've seen that have expanded beyond just web series. Yeah. Um, what's when you say interactive media? What, what are you talking about? Well, that's actually that's one of those things where it it can be writ rather broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of interactive art, actually one piece that we had last year that was just so cool. It's like a really big hit. It was um, by this artist, Billy Freeble, and it was a sculpture that, depending upon how many people were in the room and kind of where they were in the room and how close they were to the sculpture, um, the sculpture would then react by playing certain notes. It was almost... um, Oh, I'm forgetting the I'm forgetting the the term for it. But um, anyway, so it would react by certain parts of it hitting part of a xylophone or other sort of music making devices, depending upon like how people were interacting within the space around the work. Mm-hmm. And then those musical notes would then be transmitted into a visual feed that was a representation of the notes themselves. So as you were walking around it, you were kind of making this music and like watching your sort of actual footprint become a virtual footprint and like having the ability to listen to it at the same time. It was very cool. Hmm. That sounds really awesome. Kind of hard to picture, yeah. but awesome. Yeah. I, I, it's, <laughs> so yeah, when, when people are like, well, what do you mean about like experiential art? It's kind of like, yeah, that's <laughs> a hard one to really nail down. <laughs> um, but another thing that we started doing this year that I think is pretty cool is that we um, expanded into a screenwriting category as well. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Um, because it's, you know, and it's just sort of silly. It was like one of these kind of like eureka light bulb moments where, wait, all the other festivals award for screenplays, why why are we not? Why, why are none of the festivals doing that? Like there's great, there are great scripts out there. And, you know, some of them, you know, sometimes people are looking to pick up an idea. You know, you don't need to make the whole thing. Maybe a writer would like to, you know, link up with a financier or something else. So in terms of just, you know, A, awarding the writing as it should be recognized, but also, you know, recognizing the fact that there are people who, you know, would maybe like to link up their projects as well and, you know, make it a bit of a market is another opportunity. Great. Yeah. And who are some past winners? Let's see. So last year I would probably say Oh, I'm trying to think of some of the some of the ones that were the most popular last year. 
Well, actually, hmm, well, we've done this for two years now, so I can probably give you a couple of, like, a, I can run the gamut a little bit. There's actually one, I don't know if you if you really appreciate, like, um, nerd culture the way that I do. Uh-huh. Well, sure. But, yeah. um, I think it's funny you'd this, even ask. <laughs> <laughs> there was this amazing show that was called, um, oh, why am I blanking on? Uh, one Hit Die, that was what it was called. And it was um, based around kind of LARPers mm-hmm. and just so funny and so beautifully shot, like really beautifully shot and really kind of made fun of the um, like role-playing experience as mm-hmm. well in this very like tongue-in-cheek way. Um, I also, there was another one, just to give you sort of an example of the variety of some of the shows that we had. There was an animated show called Future Duck oh, yeah? that, again, also just in terms of you know trying to give people an idea of the breadth of what these shows can look like. It was so funny, so wacky, and um, really reminded me a little bit of you know shows that I love to watch like um, Robot Chicken and the kind of stuff that you see on Adult Swim. Yeah, but yeah, just tons tons of really good shows. But those those were some of the ones that I remember just watching and being like, wow. You, the variety that you get is truly remarkable because these shows are both really good and also are kind of wildly divergent too. Oh, neat. Now for the the screenplay, have you had any like readings, have actors read from some of the scripts for people to hear? Or um, I, This is actually going to be the first year that we're doing the screen the screenwriting category. Mm, okay. So in terms of uh, we're still trying to figure out a little bit of the details. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't want to answer too specifically in case <laughs> if we end up switching something up and then I end up giving you wrong information. Right, right. Well, we understand that, yeah. I was just wondering, I know Marks and I lived in uh, in Vancouver for a year while he went to school, and um, they had something there called the Cold Reading Series, and and so writers would bring and they could read up to 30 pages of a script, and you know, actors would just show up and and they just do a cold read just sitting in front of an audience, you know, sitting in chairs in front of an audience. And it was that mm-hmm. that was really fun to get to hear other writing and, and just these actors just initial interpretation of it. You know, it yeah. was it was a lot yeah. of fun. Things like that crop up from time to time. And I always thought that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And, no, and like you said, because there's so many good. Are... Yeah, there's so many good scripts that just don't get made or not made yet for whatever reason. And, and at least this way you get to kind of like oh neat <laughs> the writers need yeah, some love yeah. too you know yeah and certainly in terms of like down the pike things things that you know in terms of wanting to add more days to this festival and just like really build it out exactly the kind of program that, that you know would love to provide in multiple forms yeah, well, your web fest sounds fun. I wish we could be there this year. <laughs> yeah, I wish you could too. Maybe, maybe next time. <laughs> maybe. Well, we, I've never been to DC. We've never been to DC, so nope. that would be kind of. Well, nice. the spring is a really good time to come. In fact, probably the best time. Yeah, I've You've heard got the cherry blossoms. Yeah, I've heard that's wonderful. Isn't there a festival with your cherry blossoms? Yeah, they're actually the Cherry Blossom Festival is currently going on, and it's so funny because you just, I mean, this really depends on things that only the Farmer's Almanac can guess at. <laughs> you just, you never know when they're going to bloom, and it's only for a week. So yeah. every year the government just decides, it's like, okay, this is the Cherry Blossom Festival week. And then I would say it is it is a rare year when it actually coincides with the height of the Cherry Blossom <laughs> 
<laughs> I, you know, I have a theory on that Farmer's Almanac, though, because they are so right on so much stuff. I think mm-hmm. someone from the future, like, <laughs> ro- went back in time and has, like, the Farmer's Almanac for us now. The Nostradamus of farming. Yeah, right. I, I think it's, like, someone from, like, a thousand years from now decided a way to capitalize on this. <laughs> That's just my thought. <laughs> I dare anyone to prove me wrong. <laughs> Wish you a lot of luck with DC Webfest. Uh, and oh, and also, where are you on the orange juice in Bishop's Garden? Is it something you're going to oh. be continuing on for? Well, uh, yeah. Thank you for asking, because yeah, I probably I probably should have said a little bit more. So yeah, no, we finished our seven seasons, and of course, never say never. Never. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed to doing more, but as it stands right now. We really were able to wrap up all the storylines and bring everything to a close. Um, and the seven seasons, each one also co-programs. You can either watch it in, like, short, episodic form, or every season is also available as a feature film. Oh, wow. Um, and you can watch all of the feature films on Amazon. So season seven um, we released on Amazon pretty recently. But I'm also really excited for the next project that I'm doing. Ooh, um, Maybe a science fiction project. <gasps> oh, cool. Yay! So I'm... So excited for that. Yeah, and it's going to, it's interesting, it's going to be um, a online series that co-programs with a young adult book, but they're both told from sort of different sides. This is a new universe where there is um, kind of two wildly different and separated kind of social strata that don't necessarily know about each other that much. And so one is told from one POV and the other one is set in the other world. And they kind of combined together, but you can you can appreciate them both separately as well. But that's what I'm doing next, and I'm so and there are tree houses in it because I'm a sucker for tree houses. Oh, I love tree houses. <laughs> the best thing is a tree house near a lake. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Two of my favorite things: tree houses and lakes. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, did you say when are you filming that? Well, I'm actually, I'm still in the writing process and furiously, furiously scribbling away and then hope to kind of get it off the ground ASAP. Oh, please keep us updated on that because we would really like to uh, be able to ask you more about that (laughs) later when stuff's finalized. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your program. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, could you... um, well, you should before you go though, Yasha should tell oh. our listeners where they can find you. Yeah, and, that's what I was kidding. And your projects online. <laughs> every, every place on this international highway that, contrary to some belief, you can yeah. get on. What are the right tubes? <laughs> and 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 flyover country, we can still get to it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, let me see. Let me run through some of the websites. So there is ojnbg.com. And then we also have dcwebfest.co, that's just C-O. Mm-hmm. And the, our production company is 2020 Productions, and that is also our website. And our YouTube channel is 2020 Productions DC. Um, and on our Twitters and things like that, there's at OJ Bishop's Garden and also at DC Webfest. I think that might have been. Did I hit all of the major ones, or did I forget something? I think, I think you so. Got it. Okay, good. Um, I'm yeah. I'm always really bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're. I'm not a very tech savvy person, so I'm just gonna take your word for it. 
<laughs> I'm yeah, a those, failure. Those are the URLs and the Twitter and and the YouTube. So I feel I feel like we we got some of the heavy hitters there. <laughs> oh, and um, oh, and always you can watch it on Amazon too because people seem to be like, oh, well, I, I know Amazon. That's easy for me. Oh, okay. So there is Amazon. That's awesome. All right. Well, it's been great chatting with you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much. It was so nice to to virtually meet you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rebecca, and I play Abby Turner. Hi, this is Mark Hyde, and I play Nate Turner. Hi, I'm Phil Cook, creator of Malice the Web Series, and you're listening to Genretainment. We want to thank Otessa for taking the time to speak with us. If you are listening to this episode in the first days of being released, then there is still time for you to get tickets to attend DC Web Fest on May 2nd. Just click on over to dcwebfest.co to learn more. On upcoming episodes, we will be speaking with Gabe Michaels from Forge Apollo about their new sci-fi web series and also some really fun hosted series like the science series Technium. Mm -hmm. Also, coming up soon, we will have professional actor Michael Laskin talking about his 35 years working in film, television, theater, and voiceovers. He is also the author of the new book, The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself. And we have more web series fun coming up with our interview with Britton Valenti, the creator of the sci-fi web series Interrogation. And also, we will have the writer-director of the movie Parallels on. Yeah. A, a fun parallel universe movie that's currently on Netflix and other places. Both of those are some really good interviews and shows, so mm-hmm. it should be a really good time. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go, we want to remind you that you can keep track of us on our Genretainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks our website at genretainment.com, or all of the shows at scififulseradio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until Until next next time. Ten monkey.